Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. Tonight we're going to talk to you about understanding authority and we're going to use Matthew's Gospel chapter 8. This took place right after Jesus delivered his Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. He comes down from the mountain. A leper meets him. Wants healing. He gets healed. And then this Roman centurion meets him. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. We'll pick it up right there. And this is what happens. This is the dialogue. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum. There came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. I say to this man, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the Jesus then said to the centurion, Go thy way as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. We usually use this last week to talk about the healing ministry of Jesus and then Sunday pray for the sick and believe God for miracles to take place in people's lives. Although we do this for every service, but sometimes specifically at the end of the month, we really want to focus on and highlight the healing ministry. So I chose this text. There's twice or two times in scripture that Jesus marveled at something. In other words, he w it caused wonder and astonishment. That's what it means to marvel at something. He was astonished at what? Obviously, here, he was astonished at the faith of a Gentile. But then in Mark 6, 6, look at Mark 6, 6, what it says. He was astonished, or he marveled at the unbelief of the Jews. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about, round about the villages doing what? What's the cure for unbelief? Teaching the word of God. But notice, the Jews had a means by which to d develop great faith in their lives. They had the covenant. They had walked with God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the list goes all the way down. Moses gave the commandments. They had this covenant relationship with the covenant-keeping God, interaction with God. They saw signs. They saw wonders. They saw miracles. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw 4,500 tons of manna come down from heaven every single day to provide for their needs. 11 million gallons of water coming out of a rock every single day to provide for that need. Bringing quail from regions where wherever to feed them because they wanted meat till it came out their nostrils. I mean, they saw time after time after time after time God moving in power in glorious, spectacular ways on their behalf. And yet, they're filled with unbelief. Doesn't make much sense. Now here we got this Roman centurion. He has no means really, very little if any, by which to obtain great faith. But Jesus says he has great faith. 
He didn't have a covenant with God. He was a stranger from the covenants of promise. He had no rights or privileges to the children's bread, so to speak. But yet here he is, great faith, manifesting great faith and receiving a great miracle as a result. And so we want to talk about tonight this man's faith, the centurion's faith. But before we talk about his faith, I'm going to share with you some things and some thoughts about the centurion in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you will study this out, you'll find out there's much that's said in the Bible about the life of a centurion. And on many occasions, in different events, they were present doing certain things among the people. So, start with number one. We see first and foremost that these centurions are present in the beginning and the end of Jesus' public ministry. We just saw here, he came down from the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, and there's a centurion, and he wants help from the Lord. But then at the end of his ministry, when he dies upon Calvary's cross, notice what happens in Matthew 27. Let's read the verse. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they great, feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So here we have the centurion at an important event in the life of Jesus at his death. And you're going to see how these centurions, who I'm sure knew other centurions because of the position that they held, became influence, influences in the lives of other people. You know, we live our life upon this earth to influence other people for the things of God. Every single one of us has an opportunity as we live our lives upon this earth to impact someone else's life with your lifestyle. Which is why the enemy wants to ruin your witness or tarnish your testimony so that you become ineffective as far as reaching other people for the, for the cause of Christ. That's why it's so important that we walk with God the way He wants us to walk with Him so we can be positive influences in other people's lives and minister life to them. Because your lifestyle and your light may be the only Bible those people read. But once you give it out, praise God, and they see that it's genuine in you, then they'll want it as well. Secondly, a centurion also reports Jesus' death to Pilate. Look in Mark's Gospel, what it says here. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him, who did he call? The centurion. He asked him whether he had been any while dead, and when he knew it of the centurion, then he gave the body to Joseph. So in other words, we see Pilate here highly respecting and regarding the word or testimony of the centurion. For specific reasons. He's dead. Now I know it. Because the centurion told me. Then of course we see others. In the life of. They say a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion. Look at Acts chapter 10 verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea. Called Cornelius. A centurion of the, of the band. Called the Italian band. I played an Italian band. When I was young and growing up. Not the same kind of band. But it was a band. That... But notice. Another centurion. Hmm, what's going on here with these centurions? They're there at the beginning. They're at the cross when he died. Reports it to Pilate. And now this Roman centurion, we find him being one who fasts, he prays, and he gives alms to the poor. And God recognized him for what he had done. Could it be that they're influencing each other as they begin to report the things that they learned or knew about Jesus? Being around what was going on during that time? Then you've got the life of the Apostle Paul. 
Look in Acts chapter 21, Paul's rescue. You can see centurions very much involved in his life who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Paul was being beaten until the centurions showed up with those under their rule and put a stop to it. So we see another incident where an event takes place and centurions are very much involved. Look at the next one in Acts 22. A centurion helped rescue Paul also from being scourged. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest. This man is a Roman. He spares him from a scourging. You say, well, that might be a little thing. Really? 39 stripes on your back is not a light thing. It's not a small thing. He appealed uh, to the centurion based on his Ro Roman citizenship. You realize Paul was a Greek-speaking Jewish Roman citizen. If you could figure all that out. But that's what he was. And so he appealed to that. And of course the centurion was involved in helping him and not to be scourged. So he protected him from that. But then look at the next one. In Acts 24 and also 28, centurions provided protection for him. Uh, they escorted him to different places wherever he traveled. They cared for his needs and saw to it that other people could come and meet him. But look at what it says. And when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So the, so the centurion took good care of Paul. Then look at uh, Acts 28. And when he came to Rome, uh, look at the other one, Acts 24, 23. Can we put that up there? And he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So he had favor. So it seems like as though these centurions knew certain things. And maybe believe certain things. Believe more than maybe we realize. As we see in the life of Cornelius. Who gave his heart to Jesus. But the point is. These centurions were special individuals. Look at the next one. Uh, Acts 27. This is the one that we should all really know very easily. Paul's out on a ship. He's at the storm. There's a tremendous storm that's going on out there. Everybody's going to lose their lives as far as they're concerned. But an angel appears to Paul. And tells him everything's going to be okay. If you just listen to my instructional teaching. So the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. Because of the storm, they were getting to the point where they were going to bail out and just, you know, dive into the water. But they were told now, kill them all. Execute every single one of them. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get the land. And they were spared. But notice how these centurions were all involved in specific and very important events in the lives of Jesus. And also in the lives of the Apostle Paul. Okay. So you could say that they were special individuals. These uh, centurions. And as a result of their interaction with these people. We see God's work or will being accomplished in and through their lives. And so we thank God for that. Now, I believe that these individuals were pointed out to us because they were individuals that were really people of wisdom, people of character, and people of authority. 
So you can basically say that even though maybe they weren't all serving the Lord in the right way, the hand of God may have been upon them, opening up their eyes little by little, especially when they were there right before the cross. And the centurion looked up and said, truly, this must have been the Son of God. And then probably pass it on to some of the other centurions telling them, man, I was there. I saw what took place. I saw what happened. Now, they were trained, of course, to be the kind of people that they were. They were subordinates to the emperor. And they saw to it that they were faithful, that they were loyal. So you can see that God can take people, even that are in a secular setting, pull them out, put some of himself into them. And what happens to them? Their lives are changed. And they're going in the right direction. So we see this happening in these individuals that were people of character, people of wisdom, people of authority. Okay. Now, let's look at the faith of this particular centurion. Why was this person's faith so powerful that it caused Jesus to be astonished and to marvel at it? Well, first number one tells us this. This man's faith was a kind of faith that understood Jesus's authority. Number one, he recognized the authority of Jesus. And I want you to hear that again. Too often, and I've done it myself, when we teach this subject about this man, we say he understood authority. And that's true. But that's not all that's true. He recognized the authority of Jesus Christ himself. His authority. And that's important. Jot it down. If you want to walk with an understanding of your authority that you have, we, we all need to know this. It doesn't come from us. It's not our authority. In actuality, it's His authority He delegates to us and allows us to use to transact business for Him here upon the earth. As a matter of fact, anything and everything that you and I do in word and deed, we should do all in the name of Jesus. Why? Because He gave us the right to use His name and through this delegated authority, we can transact business for Him. We can cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If we drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt us. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Set the captives free. We have the right to use the power of the name of Jesus through delegated authority to transact this kind of business for Him upon the earth so that the will of God can be accomplished in the earth. Okay, first... The centurion, let's show you how this really translates into his life. Look at Matthew chapter 8, once again, look at verses 5 through 7. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Notice the word came, notice the word beseeching. And saying, Lord, my servant, lie at home, sick of the palsy, grieves the torment. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus came to him. Well, what's so important about that? He is a centurion. He is a subordinate. He's under the rule of the emperor. As a result, he's going to do exactly what he's told to do. He's got men under him that are subordinates. And he tells them what to do. And since Jesus is really living in a Roman-occupied territory, he's under that jurisdiction. And so this man, being a figure of authority, went to Jesus... Instead of one of my soldiers that I say, go, go, and come, come, and do this and do that. He didn't send someone else to go get Jesus and bring him to him. He went to Jesus. 
Hmm. He recognized something about Jesus and his authority. Now, if the emperor's word is going to be honored, he figured how much more should the word of someone who is in a greater position of authority than the emperor. See, he believed that his authority transcended other authorities to the point to where other people could be delivered, set free, and healed, and made whole. So it probably dawned upon him, a servant that I dearly love is in need of help that only you can give. The emperor can't do it. I can't do it. None of my subordinates can do it. No other centurion I know can do it. And so therefore, rather than just with pride and arrogance saying, go get that man and bring him to me. Oh, no, no. He goes to him. Recognizing he is a man of authority. And so apparently he must be God sent. So we can't see behind the scenes and know what the centurions talked about with each other. But we can see some things unfolding as we think along these lines. So this man sees Jesus as someone who has superior authority even to that of the emperor. Then secondly, what does he call him? Lord. Lord? Wait a minute. Really? A Roman centurion calling a Jewish person Lord, which actually means master? That's unheard of. That's unheard of. It tells us he recognized Jesus being an authority figure. Master. Not over Rome. Not over the Jews. But master of the universe. Master of sickness and disease. Master of demons in death. Master over all that is evil. He probably got wind of all the works that Jesus was doing. Because we know he came down from that mountain and we know that he healed the leper and we don't know many other things that probably transpired along the way but I'm sure there are others because the scripture says if all were written in a book, in the books, the universe could not contain the books that should be written about all the things that Jesus did. But as these things begin to unfold, we see this man hearing of these things and now where does, where does he turn? Where does he go to? The emperor can't do it. So he goes to him and calls him Lord, which reveals to us the fact that he saw him as an authority figure. And then thirdly, he also beseeched him. Notice this word, he beseeched him. He pleaded with him for help. Come and help me. My servant that I love dearly is at the point of death. He was compassionate. He cared about people that were under him. He was concerned about other people and individuals. He does not command Jesus. He doesn't command him to come to him. He goes to Jesus. He doesn't demand that he do something for him. He pleads with him. So when we put this all together, his faith recognized the authority that Jesus had. He acknowledged it, and he wasn't prideful at all. How important is this? It should be important to us because you know why? The authority that you have as a believer, the authority that I have as a believer, it's really not ours. It's His. And we should never forget who gave it to us. We should never forget what it took for Him to get it for us. We should always remember that we have this privilege and right because of the sacrifice that He made for us in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. 
all that he did to defeat death, hell, and the grave, and when he arose and emerged from the dead victorious over all these powers of darkness, he did it not for himself, he did it for us because he had the power already before he ever came to the earth. But he says, I've done all this for you, now go you in my name. It's my power, all power in heaven and earth is mine. It belongs to me, and now I want you to go forth, you go out and you use it in my name. Delegated authority. And so we should always remember this. It's in his name that all these things are subordinate to us. Sin, sickness, disease, mental anguish, all these things have to bow to the powerful name above every name. Now, his response. Look at, I put that in there in the Greek. Notice his response. He calls upon him with his urgent need and Jesus responds. This is the Greek more literal translation. I, even I, coming, will heal him. In other words, I'm not sending somebody else. I'm going. You recognize my authority. You've beseeched me. You've asked me. You've pleaded with me. Even though you're an authority figure, you didn't command me, demand me or anything because I'm a Jew. You're asking me. All that tells us he recognized the faith and authority of Jesus. Okay, that point brings us to point two. His faith demonstrated and exhibited much humility. As we read on in Matthew's gospel, notice this. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I, even I, coming, will heal him in the Greek. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Whoa. Once again, we have this Roman centurion, an authority figure with subordinates under him. And what does he do? He subordinates himself to Jesus and says, really, I'm not worthy that you come into my house. Now, it's possible, and I'm not saying that we know this for a fact, but it's possible that he understood Jewish law. It's possible he understood that Gentiles should never, Jews shouldn't be in the house of a Gentile. And it's possible that maybe he didn't want to put Jesus in a precarious position, having to come to his house, being a, a, a Gentile and Jesus being a Jew. But I want you to notice this man's character and his wisdom. Do you remember the story of Naaman the leper when Naaman the leper was sent to Elisha the prophet and he came to Elisha the prophet and the prophet sent out his servant to go and recover him of leprosy? And his servant told him exactly what to do to recover from a leprosy? Go dip in the, in the river, Canaan, in Jordan River, how, how long? Seven times? And you'll come up and you'll be whole. Remember that story? And the man was irate. I am a figure of authority. I'm somebody special. I stand out above the crowd where I come from. People bow to me. They acknowledge my expertise when it comes to warfare and strategy that I have to help us overcome. And here I am coming to you and you send your servant out to me. He was there with arrogance. He was there with a terrible attitude. He was there thinking that I'm somebody important. I'm somebody special. And you should show me the same dignity that you would any other dignitary. And he turned and walked away. Remember that story? Not this man. No. He comes to Jesus with an attitude of humility. He comes beseeching him. Pleading his case. Basically begging him to come and help his servant who is dying. You see, this man has character. His approach is much different. He doesn't demand anything. All he's asking 
is for the help of someone that he knows can help him. Once again, we don't know all that he saw, all that he heard, all that he knew that Jesus did. But you don't go to Jesus to help your, your servant that's dying recover if you don't think he can do anything. See, he understood that Jesus' authority transcended this world. It was beyond the natural world that we live in. Because he knew that Jesus had power to cast out devils, heal the sick, set the captives free, take a sin-sick soul and make it whole, whiter than snow. He knew he could take someone that was chained with darkness and liberate that person and set him free. And so he comes with the right attitude of heart. Also, number three, his faith was one that trusted in the spoken word of God. Notice this about his faith. He says, go back to Matthew. He says, but speak the word only. In other words, I understand authority. But I understand your authority to be above even the emperor's authority. And above any physician's authority. Any demon's authority or power. Speak the word only. I'm waiting for a word to fall from your lips. And if I hear that word, I will know my servant shall be healed. You don't have to make the trip. You don't have to explain yourself why you're going to the house of a Gentile. All you have to do is speak a word. There's no distance in the spiritual realm. This is not a natural situation. It is a supernatural or spiritual situation. All you need to do is let a word fall from your lips and my servant shall be healed. How does he know that? For I am a man under authority. I've got soldiers under me. I say to one, go and he goeth. I say to another, come and he comes. I say to, man, to my soldier, man, do this, my servant, do this. And he does it. I know how this works. So I recognize that you have the ultimate authority. You've got the supreme authority and supreme power. I know how that works. All you need to do is speak a word. You know why, beloved, we should get before the presence of God? One word from His lips. One word revealed in His Word, the Bible. One word that comes by His Spirit has all the power and authority of heaven and earth. And all the powers of evil and of darkness are subject to the power and authority that Jesus was given when He was raised up from the dead. So if he gives us a word, then praise God, I'm telling you, you could take it to the bank. When I heard two words in the birthing room when Andrew was born, we believe, just believe. And I just took that statement that he made, fear not only believe, and just reduced it to we believe. It carried us through the most difficult, challenging times of our lives when he was challenged at birth and said that he had to die. Well, praise God, 16 years later, he is still alive. He just had his heart echosonogram yesterday, or Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah, yesterday morning. Who knows what day it is. And the same cardiologist that's been with him the whole 16 years said nothing has changed. He's perfect. He's still the same. They keep watching him year after year after year after year. But nothing has changed. Nothing has changed at all. And we continue to say, we believe. They said he would only be four foot eight. He's five foot five. And a little more than I am. But 
He's outgrown that. And all the things he said he would never be able to do, he came just the other day and showed me his report card. It's amazing what you can see online anymore and on your little tablets and all that sort of thing. He has an A plus in every grade, in every class. In every class. They said he could never function that way. But a word from heaven has in it all the power, all the authority of the kingdom of Almighty God behind it. And when God gives it to you, thank Him for it. Humble yourself before it. And just say, this is what you said. I dare believe it beyond my senses. I believe it beyond what I see, what I hear, what I feel, what I taste, what I smell. I exalt your word. Speak the word only, Lord. And I know I've got the victory. Praise God. And so whether it comes by the Spirit whether it comes by an angel, whether it comes by a dream, whether it comes as you meditate the Word of God, it doesn't matter. That Word contains within it all power and authority and we have a right to use it to be victorious in this life and overcome all the powers of darkness. Amen? Praise God. So thanks be unto God. Hallelujah. Now notice, four, point four. If other subordinates respond to the authority of a, of, a, of a centurion or any kind of a leader. How much more will sickness and disease, which are subordinates as far as they're concerned, Jesus is concerned, bow to him. Number four, faith that got results. It was a, don't you love that kind of faith, faith that gets results? It was a faith that got results. Hallelujah. First of all, we know that it astonished Jesus. It was a kind of faith that captured his attention. This man believed something. Let's read what the scriptures say about this. This is, this is really good. When Jesus heard it, he did what? He was astounded, astonished, wondered, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I've not found so great faith, no, not in it. Do we, Israel. Do we understand what an indictment that is? They have the means at their fingertips by which they can have all kinds of great faith. As I said earlier, they walk with God. He is the one that gave birth to them as a nation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who became Israel. He's the one that saw them through the wilderness to the other side. He's the one that had them build their temples even though they were brought down twice and waiting for the third one to go up. He's the one that walked with them in the highways and byways of life in the burning fiery furnace and the lion's den and the list goes on and on across the Red Sea and everything else. They had every means by which to obtain a great level of faith in Almighty God because he was a peop they were a people dear to his own heart and they knew that and they knew he loved them in such a way that no God saves like the God of Israel. Jehovah God, the covenant-keeping God, who will take care of His people, defend them, fight for them, go before them. They witnessed all this. What an amazing thing that they got to witness. And should have faith. But look what He says. I've not found so great faith in all of Israel. And listen to this. I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom... They have an exemption rule. I'm going to take care of them. Some, No. The children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa. He expected them to believe. 
after all that he had done for them, when he came to the earth, he came to his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. And so, beloved, he makes this statement. There will be many of them cast into outer darkness. It's an eternal punishment for their unbelief and unwillingness to respond to the love of God and the work of God in their lives as he sent their Messiah. But they were blinded to it because they wanted what they wanted, not what God wanted. But he said to the centurion, go your way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And what does this show us? His faith astonished Jesus. Also, Jesus called it great faith. And there's only two times that he ever said anyone had great faith. And isn't it sad to say they were both Gentiles? The Syrophoenician woman was the other one. Great is your faith. When she said with her lips, dogs are allowed to have crumbs that fall. Notice once again that this kind of faith that's expressed with humility gets the attention of God. You want to call me a dog, Lord? I'll take it. Call me a dog. Call me whatever you want to call me. But as far as I'm concerned, dogs have rights. They can have a crumb. I just need a crumb from you. I don't need the full loaf. I don't need the meal. Every ingredient in the crumb is in the whole loaf. So it doesn't matter and vice versa. So just give me the crumb. And what does Jesus say to her? Oh, woman. See, the thing about this, when you read these verses, you don't get all the excitement and enthusiasm behind Jesus' voice when he says something like that. I'm sure he didn't just stand there and just say, oh, woman, pretty good faith. I could just hear him just shouting it out. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you as you will. Like he said to this man. Actually, he said this. For that saying, the devil's gone out of your daughter. Who said words can't cast out devils? For that saying, the devil is gone out of your daughter. And can you see her walking back home to her little place, little cottage where she lived? Can you imagine her daughter being bedfast, maybe tied to a bed because of all the demonic powers and activities taking place in her life? Who knows? But can you imagine her, when she met her on the road, the daughter came darting out of that little house, that little door, on the porch, onto the, onto the ground, and runs up to her mother and grabs her around the neck and says, Jesus was here and He set me free. And the mother says, I, you know what He said? For that saying, the devil's gone out of your daughter. Honey, I knew it when He said it. I knew it when He said it. Faith in the authority of Jesus. Jesus is the holder of all authority in heaven, earth, and beneath the earth. He has all powers given to Him because of His great sacrifice. But He says, look, it's not for me. I don't need it. It is for you to use. I secured it. I got it back for you. And in my name, transact business for me upon this earth everywhere you go. But understand this. It's my authority. I give you the right to use it. You use the power and authority of my name. But you do it with a heart of humility. Remembering who gave it to you. Remembering how he got it. And the sacrifice that he made to get it. And all that he did for you. in his death, burial, resurrection. And use it 
with the right attitude of heart to set captive people free, to deliver them from the powers of darkness, from the powers of the enemy. And I do believe this, that Jesus honored this man's faith for all these reasons. Because he understood Jesus' authority. Because he had humility in his heart and compassion toward hurting people. And he was really compassionate toward that individual, was he not? See, he had all these ingredients that we would say in his heart that pleased God. And when he used it, he got God's attention. And God said this faith was great faith. Look at my closing statement. We've all been given authority over all the power of the enemy. Aren't you glad for that? Luke ten nineteen says he gave us power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. But Jesus said, don't let that be something that's so, so exciting to you. Just be excited that your name is written in heaven and I've given you the right to do it because of that. He went on to say, this authority belongs to Jesus who delegated it to all believers. Every single one of us has this authority and we can use the power of his name to transact business. It is recognized in heaven and in earth. That means all of heaven and all of earth, praise God, must be subordinate to the power of that name. Remember when God raised him up, he said, I gave him a name above every other name that the, at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father of things in heaven, earth, beneath the earth. Heaven, earth, under the earth, they all got to bow to the power of the name of Jesus. In other words, they're all subordinate to that name. And guess what? The only being that has the right to use that name? Us, Christians, believers on this earth. Think about it. Okay, we can speak the word with authority only because he who holds all authority authorizes us to transact business for him during his absence here upon the earth. And I want us to put up these verses because I want us to see this as a prayer because this is the beginning of a study that I believe is going to transform our lives. And I really mean produce changes in our lives that will help us rise up and overcome and be victorious. Paul prayed for these people and for all the church to have our eyes of understanding open to this knowledge of the authority and power that we have in the name of Jesus. When he said, I give you power and authority, those two words are different Greek words, power, exousia, and authority, dunamis, over all the power of the enemy. In other words, I'm authorizing you to use the power that I have, that authority, and see to it that you overcome all the miracle working power, the demonic power that the enemy uses to carry out his business here upon the earth. So you've got a warfare taking place. You've got the dunamis working, this, this power of the enemy coming against people's lives to destroy them, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And you've got the authority like a police officer with authority, empowered, backed up by the government, which it should be. Well, we're backed up by the government of heaven. And they're coming together. One has the will of darkness and one has the will of God or the will of light. The power that we have transcends and supersedes all the power of the enemy because he's greater in us than he that is in this world. And there's nothing and no one that can hold us in bondage unless we give the, them the right to do so or the liberty to do so through our lack of knowledge or lack of understanding. So it's up to us to take to heart the power of the authority that he gave us and use it. And with this understanding, praise God, we can transact business for him upon the earth and set capitalist people free. So he says, I cease not to give thanks to you and make mention of my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened to know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints. And notice what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us believe. Notice the word exceeding. This is a power that exceeds all other powers. It was the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This was the greatest working of God's awesome power. It was used to raise Jesus from the dead and now every child of God has the privilege and the right to tap into that power that raised Jesus from the dead and use it, praise God, to transact business for him here upon this earth. That means you and I should be just like the disciples of old and turn the world right side up for Jesus. Or is it upside down? Can you not see the darkness getting darker in this day in which we live? But also the light is getting lighter. The church is waking up. Their eyes are being enlightened. And as we pray this prayer for ourselves daily, I guarantee you that God by His Spirit will meet the need of every single one of us to open up our eyes to get a revelation of this awesome authority given to Jesus that He get delegated to us to allow us to use upon this earth to transact this business. Look at the next statement. Far above. Far above. Everybody say far above. Not just above, but far above what? All principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And put all things under His feet. Man, I don't know about you, but this is exciting me. All things are under His feet. For what reason? For the benefit of the church. And gave Him the head over all things for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that fills all in all. So now notice... This power, this authority that he got when he was raised up, praise God, which was the awesome power of God, was given to him in the power of his name that he gives or delegates to the church, which is far above all the powers of darkness put together. Someone once said that if all the powers of darkness got together in one person's human body and it blew up, it wouldn't be enough for, to cause him to sneeze. I thought that's a pretty good analogy. We've got power and authority over all the power of the enemy. But once again, it's Jesus' power. He delegates it to us. He allows us to tap into it and use it to transact business for Him in our lives, in our family's lives, and in people's lives around us. To set them free from the chains that hold Him in captivity and bondage. As a matter of fact, every one of us in this place has good news. Not just good news, but great news. And the great news, guess what? To the poor... Praise God, there's help for you in Jesus. And I can bring you that help in the power of His name. For the one that's bound and chained in darkness, for whatever reason, I've got some great news for you as well. You can be set free and liberated. Why? Because the work's already been done. Jesus paid the price for it. And let me just loose you and re release you from it all right now in the power of His name. In the name of Jesus, I curse death by the root and command it to leave a person's body. Or I release the spirit of life and allow the power of life to flow. To heal a sin-sick soul, to deliver a person's body, to help a person in need. Praise God. Are we seeing this? I believe that God wants us to dig deeper into this understanding of His authority He has given us. Why? Because for the most part in the church, we sit back and just say, Lord, help me do. Help, help me do this. Help me do that. Or Lord, you know, uh, do something about this. Do something about that. And He goes, I already did. It's already been done. I have already made a way for you. 
I've already provided all that you need. I've given you the equipping that you need to overcome. Just use the power and authority that I get delegated to you and you'll see it take place. You notice the disciples when they went out, the apostles when they left, they went everywhere preaching the word and the spirit worked with them, right? God worked with them, setting the captives free. Notice that they did all that and they didn't pray and ask God to do it, but they did it in the power of his name. And everywhere they went, they used that name, praise God, to overcome all the works of darkness. So, once again, we want to dig deeper into this because I do believe this is what's going to help the people of God today to get to a higher level of understanding and be more effective for the kingdom of God. Let's all stand together before the Lord this evening. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.